but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment of the Minnesota Sports Podcast for the 23rd of November here. How's it going? I'm CJ Baumgartner, and we're diving into all the latest of Minnesota sports here for today. And we're going to start off with the Minnesota Vikings keeping this train going. A couple of breaking uh, breaking news here before we get this podcast going. I was going to record it a little bit earlier in the day, but uh, just uh, ended up getting pushed off. And we're here and just saw some news that just scrolled across. Uh, this according to Fox 9. It's that Dalvin Tomlinson has been put on the reserve COVID-19 list. So that is going to make him out for this game uh, coming up against the 49ers. For a Vikings defensive line that was already missing two of their starters, they're going to miss a third one here as Dalvin Tomlinson has been put on the COVID-19 list. And they also activated Dakota Dozier, who seems to be all right, which is good to hear, of course, because he was in the the hospital. And so Dalvin Tomlinson, one of the Vikings' free agent acquisitions, they picked him up. Um, they put him on the COVID-19 reserve list, and we'll see. This comes from the official Vikings page. Um, it says that uh, he has been put on the COVID-19 list, and of course they can't provide any further update because they're the team. But uh, looking at an article from CBS, uh, from WCCO here, I should say, uh, the Vikings placed Dalvin Tomlinson on the reserve COVID-19 list on Tuesday and uh, further testing depth on their defensive line. And, of course, Tomlinson has started all 10 games in his first season in Minnesota after coming over from New York as a free agent. And Michael Pierce missing games as well with his elbow injury. Daniil Hunter out. So that's starter number three that is out. Of course, it's going to throw Sheldon Richardson into a bigger role here as a video pops up uh, on the uh, webpage. But the point still stands. So the Vikings are now down three of their four starting defensive lineman and really I mean the only one is Everson Griffin which I don't know I can't remember if he officially was a starter at the beginning of the year either way the point is that they are very thin at that position and not necessarily I mean they have bodies but we haven't seen you know Sheldon Richardson this is why he was brought in he's a depth piece but now you still have to figure out okay Armand Watts can he play you have to figure out on the defensive end spot you know, because they were shuffling some of those guys around. They were shuffling, shuffling Sheldon Richardson around to defensive end as well because they didn't have the bodies, and now he's going to have to basically stay inside the whole game. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the Vikings are going to play this because they just have nobody. So that's going to be a big uh, depth piece. And you're playing a Kyle Shanahan offense that has gotten the bugaboo over Mike Zimmer. The, I mean, granted, the last time – both these teams played. It was completely different. The Vikings had digs, and their offense looked a lot different. And the 49ers, of course, were a team on their way to the Super Bowl. But this is still a 49er team that's going to be uh, a problem for the Vikings, and especially if they can't stop uh, themselves. If they can't stop anybody up front, it's going to be tough sledding for them. So it'll be interesting to see how long 
Pierce is out, if he's out for a week or two, depending on his vaccination status, depends on what type of protocols he gets put under. Either way, he is going to miss time against the San Francisco 49ers, which is not going to make it ideal. Vikings fans got one day. You got one day to live it up. But, and live it up, I mean, as in have that optimism after a big win over a division rival. But... I already did the notes uh, assuming that optimism was raining, so we are going to proceed uh, with the show as if it was that. And I want to take a look for the Vikings that is there a path for this team to make a deep playoff run. And even given the news with Dalvin Tomlinson, assuming everything's okay, I know COVID can always be tricky, but assuming everything is okay and he comes back in a week or two, you still get him for the end of the stretch run. And after the 49ers, you're playing the Lions next. I think we can get through the Lions without Delvin Tomlinson. And if we lose to the Lions at any point, unless Kirk Cousins gets injured, or unless Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook all of a sudden get the COVID bug or something and have to miss time, which would very well happen, by the way. Uh, but assuming that uh, knocking profusely on wood here that uh, this team gets through, uh, without that, this is a team without a circle loss. One, I mean, they're a team without a circle loss the rest of the year. And I say circle wins, uh, as in, you know, Peyton Manning always described it as a circle win. As a coach is looking through the schedule, going, okay, well, we're uh, we're playing this team, so we got to win there, and I think we can beat this team, and so I think we should be four and three in our next five, you know, whatever. So it's that kind of thing where you circle the thing and you're like, okay, well, we already have a good idea of how this is going to turn out. There's really not. Um, none of the teams scare you going down the stretch. You play the 49ers. They're 5-5. Five and five, They're on the road. The 49ers are kind of in the Vikings position. They've gotten bit by injuries and poor luck, and now they've kind of rebounded, and now they have a chance to kind of make a second-half swing. The Rams, of course, play in a tougher division. Or the 49ers, excuse me, and they have to play the Rams and the Cardinals again at least one time each. Um, and so... The 49ers, the Vikings should win. I mean, all these games are ones where you can say, you can make a decent argument to say they should win. That's not to say that they're going to win all of them and they're going to finish the season 12-5. and five. That's just not how football works. Even if there's a, even if there's four games in a row you should all win, it's just unlikely for teams to win more than three games in a row. I mean, it's really hard to get wins in the National Football League because you need to be healthy, you need to have a good game plan, you need to make sure the other team uh, you know, has a, doesn't have as good of a game as you. There's just so many things that go in. It's really hard to get a win. It really is. So they're, you know, there's no, they play the 49ers at, uh, I was about to say Candlestick, but they, they play at Levi Stadium. They've been playing there for years. Uh, they play at Levi Stadium in San Francisco. And then they go to Ford Field to play the Lions. And then they play the Steelers at home in a Thursday night game and Steeler and, uh, the Steelers are a weird team, and Thursday night games are weird, so expect that game to just be a mess. But they also go to Soldier Field to play the Bears. Now, the, now beating the Bears at Soldier Field has always been a difficult task, but the Bears are flailing, and at a certain point it looks like they're either going to fire their head coach, to which point the team is already going to start to check out for the season, or their head coach is still going to be there that they want fired, so they're not really going to try and play hard to help him keep his job. And then you have the Rams, which is at home, by the way. And remember, the quarterback for the Rams is Matthew Stafford, who the Vikings know pretty well and Zimmer knows how to game plan against. And Stafford has struggled at U.S. Bank Stadiums. So there is a hay to make there against the Rams, who are a good team. But as we've seen, 
they aren't they aren't this juggernaut. They aren't this team that can just mow through everybody. They're a team with weaknesses like everybody else. The NFC is wide open with good teams that all have weaknesses that all can be exploited. There is no juggernaut team this season. Even the Cardinals, uh, as good as they are, the Vikings put up a good enough fight against them. You have the Packers at Lambeau Field. Of course, that's going to be tougher because you're playing at Lambeau in January. And then the Bears at home. And you're the, if you're the Vikings, you're hoping you're in playoff contention. And you're the Bears have basically they're not, and they're very unlikely they're going to be. Uh, they're like three and six at this point, or three and seven. So you have they're done. They're cooked. And by that time. You're hoping that they're basically out to lunch and they're just ready to start their off-season plans and you can come in and get a win on the final game of the season. But the point is, is there's no game where you look and you say, I don't, there's not a way I see them winning that one. Because this team has played tough competition all year. They've played the Ravens. They've played the Chargers. They've played the Cooper Rush Cowboys. They've played all of these teams. And the only one you can make a case to say the Vikings would have a tough time winning would maybe be the DAP-led Cowboys because they never played them, and they lost to Cooper Rush. So I think the Vikings have a good chance to get enough wins to get into the playoffs based on their remaining schedule. I think giving the Viking, not giving the Vikings the benefit of the doubt, they go three, they go three and four in their last uh, seven, and they go eight and nine. That's not being generous. That's not giving them a win against the 49ers. That's saying their only three wins are going to be at Lions, at Bears, and the Bears at home to end the season. So those are three wins you're giving the Vikings, and then they get to eight and nine, which in this NFC is good enough to get into the playoffs unless Carolina turns it around or San Francisco turns it around. That's good enough to sneak in, and that's implying that New Orleans doesn't implode either as well with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. So there's a path for the Vikings to get into the playoffs. And when the Vikings get into the playoffs, they have the offensive firepower to run with any team. If the Vikings keep this offensive formula going, now granted it's the middle of the season, so there is still a chance that you know teams figure out what the Vikings are doing and the Vikings regress and all that kind of stuff. But as it seems now, and we've known this all season, is that when you feed Justin Jefferson... Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook the ball equally, not feeding Dalvin Cook first and then trying to get to the other two. You just give all of them the ball appropriately. You can score a lot of points. Putting up 34 on a good defense against Green Bay is a really good thing. Oh, and by the way, Justin Jefferson, according to Pro Football Focus, the highest graded wide receiver on third down, Justin Jefferson, 92.5. When you target these guys in key situations, Adam Thielen, consistently over his career, has come up with big plays. Justin Jefferson comes up with big plays in third downs. The Vikings' third down philosophy should just be bleep it. Justin Jefferson's out there somewhere and go throw to him. None of this thrown behind the chains and all this kind of stuff. So they can, they have the offensive firepower. They play well enough inside the tackles. If they can figure out a way to minimize the uh, interior pressure that comes from their weak interior offensive line, their offense can score points, and their defense can make just enough plays, and that's where we're at. The defense is not going to win you games outright as long as you keep scoring. They can make just enough plays where you can count on a Harrison Smith or Eric Kendrick's interception to vault you forward, or you can count on you know an Everson Griffin sack late, or one of those things. You, know, you can't count on it consistently, but if one of those guys gives you a play like that and your offense just hums, 
you're going to be okay. And, and that doesn't mean, I mean, you're going to give up a lot of points. It's going to be more of a slugfest, but you can still win. The Vikings are 13th in the NFL right now with 25 and a half points per game. And it still feels like they can go up because they spent so much of the last month and a half before the Chargers game flailing on offense and barely using their firepower. So the Vikings, they're 13th, which is middle of the pack right now. And they can, they can get up higher in terms of points per game if they allow themselves to, and if they would be more aggressive on third down, be more aggressive targeting their top two guys, be more aggressive and all that in those areas. And you can see them take that upward trajectory. And of course, this is all contingent on the Vikings opening up the passing game, but it, it looks like they figured it out for the time being and it's been working. And hopefully that incentivizes the Vikings to keep going with this and to figure out ways to explore this avenue of winning football games. Because in 2021, the way this team is constructed, and especially now with the injury or with the uh, COVID diagnosis to Dalvin Tomlinson, your defensive lineman, the way you are going to win football games and the, you're going to play Kyle Shanahan and Mike Zimmer, a Mike Zimmer team is going to have to play a Shanahan and they're going to have to out offense them. That's how it's going to be on Sunday. You're going to have to out offense the San Francisco 49ers. Now they have Jimmy Galapagos as the quarterback. Yes, I know it's Garoppolo. Uh, they have him at quarterback. So if you have a chance, you have a chance. And that's the thing. If this Vikings team can get into the playoffs, this NFC, as we talked about before, there is no juggernaut. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not perfect. The Green Bay Packers are not perfect. You went into Arizona and you should have beat them. You didn't, but you should have. And you look at, again, there is no team that scares you. The Dallas Cowboys, not scared of the Dallas Cowboys. They've laid eggs plenty of times this season against teams that are not as good as the Vikings. They've laid eggs to Denver. They've laid eggs to the Chiefs last week, who, especially on offense, and they don't have a, and the Chiefs don't have a particularly good defense. So this Cowboys team is laying eggs, and especially in the playoffs, they haven't had two uh, they haven't had two great of, of performances once they've gotten into the postseason as well. So there is a firm avenue for them to do it. And just like the Gophers in the Big Ten West, there is an avenue, there is a path, and it's all contingent upon you winning your football games. It's not contingent on what everybody else does. If you take care of your own business, here's the position that is in front of you. And for all the crap that the Vikings have gone through this season, through all of the uh, feeling and uh, feeling and CJ Ham's agent going off on Twitter for all of the fires and we're talking for all the booing the team going into halftime for all of that your team can make a run now I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl but I'm saying that there is a pathway forward for them to make a deep playoff run and potentially for Zimmer to keep his job and I'm not I don't know if that's a good thing for the franchise or not I'm leaning towards no but that's the way that's in front of him. And if the Vikings want to succeed in the postseason, there is a path in front of them where they can do it. There's no, you got to run into the 2019 LA Rams or 2018 LA Rams, or you have to run into the, you know, 2007 Patriots. There's no buzzsaw team you have to run into, and you have a chance to go in there and win. And the Vikings are just as talented as any team, and they could beat any team they've played this season. They've lost every game within a touchdown. So all they have to do is go out, clean up the things that they need to clean up. And Zimmer talked about on Sunday how he hated the Sunday fun day thing, and he hated, you know, he's like, it's not fun when you're in all these close games. 
And other people have said this, so I'm not the first one to jump on the bandwagon, but the Vikings should really embrace that. They should really embrace being the team that plays in close games and, hey, it's under two minutes, here we are, we're within, you know, the game's within three points, we gotta either get a big stop or we have to go on a game-winning drive, this is who we are, boys, this is us, this is the 2021 Vikings, and they need to embrace that, because if they embrace that, I'm not saying they're all of a sudden gonna win and go on this magical run, but it's better than going, oh gosh, here we are again, and when the head coach does it, it's going to bleed over to the rest of the team whether they like it or not. So, But there is a path. There is a path for the Minnesota Vikings to get into the Super Bowl. And again, not saying that that's going to happen, but I'm saying there is a realistic path. But it's all contingent upon them taking care of business and doing the things they need to do, like trusting their offense to be the guiding force of this team instead of the defense and to go that way as such and to push the right buttons in terms of feeding Thielen and Jefferson and Dalvin Cook appropriately. All right, well... Now, let's talk here a little bit about the Minnesota Timberwolves, who all of a sudden have won four in a row and slingshotted themselves back into contention so far in this NBA season. And we talked about in the NBA how you don't want to sink your season early, and it looked like the Minnesota Timberwolves did that. They were 4-9 and nine at one point, and it was like, oh gosh, you know, maybe they're not going to be a total bottom feeder, but they screwed themselves early, and now they're not going to be able to catch back up, and... And all of a sudden, they won four games in a row, beating teams they should have beat for the most part. Although they got a good win against Memphis. Holy Lord, did they destroy Memphis by 40 points on their home court. And by the way, that same Memphis team, they went up and they beat Utah, who's one of the better teams in the West. So, and I know Memphis was a little depleted, but you beat. it's not like you just snuck by them. You completely destroyed them on their home court. And it was fun to see. It was fun to see. Anthony Edwards balling out and having fun. It was fun to see Carl Anthony Towns doing this. It's fun to see D'Angelo Russell, who's having not his best NBA season, not his statistically best NBA season, but a guy who's having a good year and a productive season so far when he's on the court. He is getting better at defense. He has been a solid plus on the floor with his ball movement. So I think, and while I'm not a huge D'Angelo Russell guy, he has been playing well. And the crazy thing is, when you make your shots, and the other team doesn't, good things happen. And the Wolves have been doing a lot of the second part this season, and for whatever reason, they struggled in the first part. And Finch has said, you know, he thinks that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards are all three stars, in his words, says they're all three stars, they're all trying to do too much at the beginning, they were all trying to, you know, force things, and now they're able to trust and let the offense go, and they're able to kind of figure things out, and it's been leading to a lot of offensive success, and they're going to be tested here now with uh, their schedule coming up as the um, Jimmy Butler-led Miami Heat come to town. Now the Wolves get to play him on the on the second part of a back-to-back, so they have a chance to get a win against a Miami Heat team that should at the very least be a little uh, little tired uh, coming in to play the Timberwolves, but it should still be a good game, and it should still be one that the Wolves should win. It's on your home court. The Wolves are always a little bit more motivated to play Jimmy, even though Cat and Akogi are the only two guys left from that Jimmy Butler team, and Akogi was teammates with Jimmy Butler for like 20 minutes. But Carl Anthony Towns is always motivated to beat Jimmy Butler's heat. He's always motivated to beat Jimmy Butler. And whether they'll say that they have beef or not, 
He wants to beat Jimmy Butler, and he wants to prove that not in the he, – he, and he's not more of – he doesn't have that, you know, dog mentality, but in the sense of he just wants to prove you didn't think that I could win. You didn't think I was good enough to be on a winning team or to lead a winning team. Well, here I am, and here we are, and we just beat you. And they did it against Miami last season, and that was the whole call Rachel Nichols game for Carl Anthony Towns. And they have a chance to do it again at home. It's going to be a good atmosphere, I'm sure, from the Target Center. And it's going to catch the attention of more national people if they can win. Because, yeah, you beat the you beat the Pelicans last night. That was good. You beat them by 20. You should have. Yeah, you beat the Grizzlies. You know, you destroyed the Grizzlies. That's, you know, they were a little hurt. You know, again, destroying the Grizzlies, that was a good one. But, yeah, you beat the Spurs. You beat the Kings, whatever. But beating the Heat... An Eastern Conference team with Jimmy Butler and the storylines are there, so more people are at least going to be paying attention to the Wolves in this game. It's a good chance for them to get a little bit more national recognition. They'll get back to the 500 mark and really get to kind of go from there. But taking a look at the Wolves' uh, stats from last night against New Orleans, uh, the their three-pointers, again, were a little bit down, but New Orleans is such a bad team. They only have three wins on the year. One of them to the Timberwolves, by the way. And if they win that game, all of a sudden they're 9-8. and eight. If they beat Orlando, they're 9-8. and eight. And I know it's a long season, but they're just games that you want to have back. Um, and they they played well, did the Wolves, uh, in terms of defense. But the three-point shooting is a lot to be desired. Didn't shoot as well from the charity strike as they should have. They were only uh, 71%. They missed eight of them yesterday. But it's still a win. You still get to move on and... Now you still get to have another chance here in this one. And now looking, if the Wolves are, they, they again have a couple favorable games coming up. They have the Hornets that they should be able to beat. They go to Charlotte. And then they kind of have a little bit of a uh, road trip here. Uh, one game road trip against the 76ers on Saturday because the Wolves go from playing uh, the Heat on Wednesday. They have a day off and then they have a back-to-backs on the East Coast. One in Charlotte, one in uh in Philadelphia and then they come home to play the Pacers on the Monday and those are a nice little it's a nice little four game stretch and you could go one and three in those games you could go two and two and go three and one I think the Wolves more likely go two and two but I think they win the first two and lose the next two but either way if you can get wins against one of these teams outside of Charlotte so if you can get two wins in this four-game stretch, I think it at least shows that while you're not in the top echelon of Western Conference competitors, you are a team that needs to be taken seriously, and they've been that team because of the way that they've been playing. Carl Anthony Towns has been having a great season. Anthony Edwards is still a little bit inconsistent, but he still is putting up great defensive effort when the offense hasn't always been there, which is huge. And, of course, D'Lo been productive when he's on the floor as well from the defense that's been dominating. I mean, it's just amazing how much this defense has turned around. Last season, the Wolves couldn't stop teams from scoring 130 points. It was just ridiculous. They couldn't stop teams. They shot through the roof. And if the Wolves won, it was always like 132 to 129 or something like that. They would barely scrape by teams because they were having a good offensive night. The defense has been dominating. And they have a chance to put that on display for the whole league to see if they can. Now, it's not a, I don't believe it's a nationally primetime game. But it's still going to be one with the Heat and with the Jimmy Butler storyline that people are at least going to be paying a little bit more attention to than normal. And looking at this team and looking at their season so far, um, with the 
with the Wolves again, Carl Anthony Towns having a great season. He's average, He leads the team averaging 23 points a game. Anthony Edwards right behind him averaging 22. D'Angelo Russell averages 18. And then the rest of the guys kind of just fall in line. You have your uh, Patrick Beverly's. You have your... Uh, you have your Patrick Beverly's, you have your uh, Nas Reed's, and you have your uh, Malik Beasley's chipping in with about 8 to 10 points here and there. But it's still been a team led by their three-headed monster of Cat and Ant plus D'Lo, and I still think that's how you got to play this. But they're winning games, and it's going to at least slingshot them into the playoff mix. And this is a team that can compete in the playoffs. Because if you look at the Wolves and you look at the Eastern Con again, it's way, way too early to look at the uh, Western Conference standings right now and to make any rational judgments on what's going to happen. But you can at least kind of see how it's starting to take shape. You can at least see what teams are just out of it and which teams have a chance. The Kings fired Luke Walton. So we'll see what happens now that uh, I believe Alvin Gentry is the interim head coach for Sacramento now, the former Pelicans head coach. Uh, Luke Walton, what a flop of a head coach. Everybody thought he was going to be this wonder boy. Yeah, not so much. Uh, but the Wolf, the Thunder have wavered a bit here. So the Wolves right now, they're a couple games in front of the Thunder for that 10 spot, and the Lakers are only at 9-9, nine and nine, and the Wolves have a win against them so far this season. So, again, there's a chance the Nuggets are 9-8, and eight, there's this kind of middle tier of teams. The key number one for the Wolves is to establish that they are in that 10 to 8 range. Establish that you're in that 10 to 7 range, I should say. Establish that you're a team that is good enough to get into the playoffs, and it's not a matter of that, – that is your next goal, is to establish yourself to be in that group. Establish yourself that you are better than the Thunder and the Kings, and you're also better than the Spurs, Pelicans, and Rockets. You know you're better than the Rockets and the Pelicans – you know you're better than the Spurs. Beat the Kings and the Thunder when you have the chance. And all of a sudden, you're in the top ten of teams. So make sure that. That's priority number one. Priority number two is to then try and jump a couple teams. And to just not hang on to that ten spot. And to see where the season takes you. But priority number one is to keep yourself in that spot. Because the Wolves right now are figuring it out. They seem to be, they're not a top talent. You know, as much talent as they have, they're not a top echelon of teams. But they are a team that's well-coached. They're a team that has talent. And now they seem, dare I say, competent. They are competent. And that's something that we've just been crying for the Wolves to have since Kevin Garnett was traded. Competency. Are you competent? Even the Wolves that made the playoffs a few years ago with Tibbs and Jimmy, they were good. They weren't competent. They weren't. It wasn't a long-lasting thing for success. There was no... Uh, there was no consistency to it. There was no um, trying to find the right word. There was no long-lasting impact that it was going to leave on this team. You just knew it was short-term success that you were chasing and that you were going to get burned on the back end, which they did. And so now, now the Wolves have that. They have that consistency. They have a plan where even if, yeah, maybe D'Angelo Russell doesn't work out, heck, even if Carl Anthony Towns doesn't work out, you still have Anthony Edwards. And so if Cat eventually wants out, cool. We'll trade Cat. We'll get a bunch of pieces. We'll build around Anthony Edwards, and we'll go from there. We'll get some draft picks, or we'll trade him. We'll get a three-way deal to get another star, and we'll figure it out from there. But this Wolves team is good enough to be in the playoffs. They still have to prove it. I'm not going to say that this Wolves team is going to make the playoffs, but they are good enough to be in the playoffs, 
especially with how bad the bottom teams in the Western Conference are. In a, in a league that lets 10 teams in each conference into the playoffs, if you, you have to be better than one-third of the league. The Wolves are better than one-third of the league, and they need to prove it over the course of this long season, but they're almost a quarter of the way through, and right now, if the season ended today, they would firmly be in that 10 spot in the playoffs. So there you go. There's some Wolves optimism on top of our Vikings optimism. Hey, we got some optimism going. And the Wild, they've had uh, not much to say on them. They had the Florida road trip. They now are getting ready to play a game uh, on Wednesday. They're going to take on the Devils, and they should be able to win that game, although New Jersey isn't a bad team. You're going on the road to play that one. So they have a little bit of optimism there. The Florida road trip didn't go the way that they wanted it to. There was the comeback kid style of thing. A style of ways that they like to close the game, coming back from behind late. And we'll talk a little bit more tomorrow on how successful of a, of a model that is. Uh, but we'll keep the optimism going. The Wild are still, when you look at the standings, the Minnesota Wild are still in, uh, when you take a look at the uh, Western Conference standings, the Wild and the Central Division standings as well. The Wild are still in first place. They have a one-point lead on the St. Louis Blues and the Winnipeg Jets, who each have 22. The Preds have 21, and the Avalanche have 19 as they're starting to claw their way back, which I said at the very beginning of the season was bound to happen. And, well, that's great. We move past the Wild. The Gophers got a win over the weekend. Oh, my gosh, this is great. Is there anything that can stop this Minnesota sports momentum? Oh, no, it's the Twins. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, uh, this hasn't been going great this offseason. Some starters and some relievers are going off the board. Uh, you know, the Twins name in an offseason where everything looks like it's going to be decided or at least the major – uh, part of moves are going to be decided before December 1st. The Twins have been in nothing. Their names have not appeared in anything except the trade market. Oh, and by the way, you know when their names have appeared in the trade market? When it comes for, hey, would the Twins like to sell this piece? And I'm not saying that that's what the Twins are doing. They're trying to sell off. Some of it could be, you know, I report for the Mets, and I'm speculating that Rodgers would be a good guy for the Twins to, or for the Mets to trade for. They should trade for the Twins. They should trade for Rodgers from the Twins, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But how many reports have you seen? And Darren Wolfson is a guy who will tweet things out if the Twins are involved. He's a guy who will tweet uh, that the Twins are looking at this guy or not or whatever. He's been pretty quiet, or if he has, it's been Twins have not been involved on this guy. And... Maybe they're involved in the trade market. Maybe they are. Maybe that's their plan. Maybe their plan is to go through the trade uh, trade pool and to ship off some pieces to kind of clear out things for your major league roster. But you haven't been hearing anything from them. This this And here's the big reason why. is This offseason is going to truly define how we view the Falvine era. The Derek Falvey and Thad Levine era in Minnesota is going to be defined by this offseason. It's going to be what sets the tone for the rest of their tenure here in Minnesota. And it's their roster now. They, are tr they have traded away Jose Barrios, and they brought in prospects that they wanted. They've Baldelli's their manager. They've gotten rid of the scout, you know, and, and this hasn't been a thing that just happened, but it's slowly happened. Now, they're in year five. They they took control of this team five years ago. They've 
gotten out all the people they wanted to get out. They've brought in all the people they wanted to get in. It is their team. It is their uh, staff. All their people are in the room. And now it's up to them to start doing something with it. And it doesn't help when the – here's the most intriguing piece, and here's the piece that's really going to define this offseason, is what in the heck do you do with Byron Buxton? What do you do with Byron Buxton? Do the Twins trade him and fully cement that all the Terry Ryan pieces we don't want are out of here? This is our team. These are our prospects. You know, the holdovers like Polanco and Kepler and, you know, those guys we signed to cheaper extensions. And Kirilov we like because he was a good prospect. But outside of that, these are all our guys. This is our team. This is how we want to win. And, again, they still have Buxton on the roster, but there has been no moves in terms of trading for him. In terms of, uh, there's been no moves, rather, in, uh, and there's been nothing announced about a trade for Buxton yet. But, you know, you think, okay, well, maybe the Twins, maybe it's just how the Twins are. They had to trade Barrios because they couldn't afford him or they wanted to use the money elsewhere. You know, that's just how small market teams operate, right? You know, even teams that have, even teams like the Rays, they had guys like Blake Snell who have come through their team and they had to trade, who's a good pitcher. And they had to trade him because, well, I mean, they just got to make room, and they, that's just how their team operates. Yeah, by the way, the Rays, they're re-signing Wander Franco to a 12-year, $223 million extension to keep Wander Franco in Tampa for over the next decade. By the way, Bobby Bonilla will still have two years left on this contract. But uh, this this shows that even Tampa, when they see players who are like, this guy, this guy's the face of our team. This guy is going to set the tone for how we want to do things. And yeah, we might be overpaying for him or we might be stepping out of our bounds. We might be stepping out of our character to do this move, but we can't envision our franchise without him. And yeah, Wander Franco is the top prospect and he's the bell of the ball and all that kind of stuff. But so was Byron Buxton. Byron Buxton was your top prospect. He's supposed to be the face of your team. And I know he's hurt. And I know that that's a big reason why there's trepidation with this re-signing. But come on, Twins, you can't sit here and go, woe is us, we're a small market team, this is how we have to operate, when the Tampa Bay friggin' Rays are doing the exact opposite of what they do, and they're keeping a guy that they want on their team. I'm not going to hear that excuse of, woe is us, we're a small market team. You're not. You're not as small market as Tampa Bay. And guess what? They found the money to pay Wander Franco $18 million a year. I know Buxton probably wants more than that, but you can pay him. You have more money than the Rays. And if it's tied up in the Josh Donaldson contract, then trade Josh Donaldson. I like Josh Donaldson. I think he's a good player. I think the Twins should keep him. But if that's your rationale is that you have that money on the books, get rid of him. Trade him for nothing. Keep Byron Buxton on your baseball team. The Tampa Bay Rays, even though they love to get cute and they love to trade prospects, and you could totally have seen the Rays taking a service time for all it was worth, and then with the last year left, shipped him off and gotten prospects and reset the cycle. They've done it for Blake Snell. They've done it with David Price. Heck, they even did it at a certain point with Evan Longoria. Now, they signed him to an extension, so that was different. But Twins, re-sign Byron Buxton. You have no excuses. When Tampa is finding ways to re-sign their star players, you need to say, okay, we need to sign we need to make this move. We can't justify to our fans, to our fan base, that woe is us. This is the conundrum of a small market team when teams with less money than you 
are finding ways to sign their star players to an extension. I don't care if you feel like you're overpaying for Byron Buxton. He is worth it. Get it done. $18 million, loading it up with incentives to make him worth $25 to $30 million. Heck, even paying Buxton $20 million a year with incentives to get him up to 30 There is no issue with that contract, and why you haven't gotten it done yet is beyond me. Resign Byron Buxton. This is going to be beaten like a drum, and I know people on Twitter and people ever, wherever are getting annoyed of everybody saying it. But it's just getting ridiculous. And if the Falveen can't keep Buxton in Minnesota, if they do trade him, I don't care what the return is for him. I don't care how nice of a pitcher they get for him. I don't care how nice the money that they use to go get this guy or this guy. The amount of effort and the amount of impact that brings your that is brought to your team by Byron Buxton is too much to give up. And the Rays were able to swallow that bullet. They were able to bite that bullet, swallow that pill, whatever you want to say. They were able to make it work, and there's no excuse for why the Twins, a team that has a better stadium and more committed fans show, and I, I should say they have more fans showing up into their stadiums, they have more ticket money flowing through, they have more of this flowing through, there's no excuse for why the Twins can't get it done. That is how we are going to end the Minnesota Sports Podcast for today. Thank you for joining us. We are going to be right back here tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.